Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. And I'm James Cordy. Hey! hey. James <laughs> Cordy is back. Once again. It's like we, our unofficial third host of the show that right. we, we love to have back. He's back to talk about some more marketing with us, but with not just the standard marketing. I feel like a lot of what we're going to talk about today is very relevant if you're not a marketing person, per se. Oh, yeah. Even though everybody should be a marketing person to some extent. Yeah. For those on the audio feed, I'm making strong air quotes yes. around marketing I can here. feel them, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to dive into the Challenger customer again. We, we had an episode a, a few months back about this. It was episode number 45. We'll recap that a little bit in case you missed it for some reason. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. We're going to dive into the demand part of things, though, this time. We're going to talk about how to create demand for your customers mm-hmm. and, and making sure that your customers understand uh, you know, why you are positioning products and services to them. Not just because you have them and you want to and you're trying to make a buck, but because you actually feel like there's a useful application for your solutions in their business and how to create the need for that. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about you know why you focus on, on, on selling products and, and, and not overcoming customer objections, like why you might not be doing that and why you should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about how we convince customers that their status quo is something that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll get into, you know, a little bit of an explanation of, of, you know, how you create proof behind this, how you create that demand that we're talking about. So... Uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be a good conversation. Corey has been doing some more reading. Uh, we found out along the way as we as we put this one together, we're actually going to have to do another episode following this. That's just ahead There's of just time. There's just so much information. Right. We're not going to complete everything here. It's going to be a trilogy. Yes. Well, after listening to these, you'll be the master of this domain. So, yeah. hey, exactly. you know, it takes time. I, I completely agree. So all that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's that connecting with us, it's time to plug in and get connected. <laughs> Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, James Cordy. Digital Marketing Manager of Blue Star is back with us today. Uh, he has been continuing to read. We, we've hassled him to keep reading the Challenger customer <laughs> more because this guy has a lot of you know time on his hands to just right? sit around reading books all day long. Hey, we got to stay up on what's going on. We uh, got to stay relevant. We here. do, and we wanted to make sure we got back to this topic. You know, uh, as we go through the year and kind of keep diving into little bits and pieces of how we can impact our our business and our VARS business with with you know exceptional marketing and marketing tools that you can actually go to you know go to market with. Uh, so first of all, let's let's do a little recap of the previous pod and you know what we kind of learned uh, from the early parts of the Challenger customer around understanding B2B buying groups, who they are, what they are, how why they make they decisions, struggle. why they struggle. <laughs> exactly. So I will let you take this, Cordy. We'll say like, you know, uh, previously on the Tech Connect podcast, <laughs> episode number 45. Sure. Go. So let me start by saying, you know, you mentioned in the open that this is information that's relevant beyond marketing people. And I just want to say the reason I think that is, is it's really a shift, like a fundamental shift in how I would say 75, 80% of companies market, which is talking about themselves. Right. You know, and I think a lot of companies, they have such a strong case to just say, we do X better, or we are, you know, Y amount less expensive than our next closest competitor. It's just been the standard way that a lot of people market. And I think that even from an executive level, from a CEO level, thinking about your customer 
first and foremost, and specifically, and you mentioned this as well, why they need to change. So to lead back into the recap, that's part of what we talked about in part one, mm-hmm. which is in B2B buying scenarios, you're dealing with a group. Those groups struggle. Mm-hmm. They struggle to make decisions. And the decision they really struggle with is, should we change what we're already doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, a key reason around that is there's misalignment in some cases around which problems they want to solve. There's a yep. bunch of different stakeholders with competing priorities. Um, and, and again, one of the other things we said is most of the time when a group does get together and say, hey, we need a new ERP system, for example, they do their own research, they figure out their own priorities, not usually in a really efficient way, and they get about 57% through that process before they ever reach out to a salesperson. So that salesperson doesn't have any opportunity to kind of make their case, you know, um, state the value or, or even make a case for the things that should change. What are those pain points and kind of articulating those? And I think that's part of what we want to talk about is, well, A, how do we help our partners and how do we get in front of people sooner in that process? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the easy question to answer. Um, the more you know, interesting one is, okay, so if we know that marketing is the way to go out and create demand um, versus just capturing demand. I think that's a, a distinction worth making is there are people out there who have intent already for your products mm-hmm. and services who are maybe searching on Google for them, searching on YouTube for them, things like that. Those are the people you just need to capture, capturing existing demand versus going out and creating new demand in a market. How do you do that? So that's really where the challenger customer has been going deep over the last you know 80 pages or so. And that's kind of, you know, what I want to dive into. Oh, one last thing on what we talked about last time, which is if we know there's a buying group of, on average, 5.4, exactly, 5.4 decision makers in a buying group, um, do we go out and try to make connections with all of those people individually, have a salesperson, you know, maintaining five different uh, lines of communication? Or, and their suggestion is, instead of that, you find the mobilizer within that group, the one person who you can convince, and a lot of times it's not that C-level person, it's maybe the director or the you know the manager who's seeing that day-to-day benefit, or or better said, who's seeing that day-to-day pain, and you catch their attention, you spark their attention is, is the verbiage they use in the book, and then get them, once you've convinced them, to go and be your champion within the organization. So that's what we said last time. Um, you know, where we are now is basically diving into what does it look like making the conversation about your customer's business. So in the book, they draw the, the simplest diagram where there's an A and there's a B and there's an arrow. The A is the current behavior mm-hmm. and the B is the desired new behavior, basically using your products and services. Before we go there though, can, so, can, can I go back to where you're at? Because I think that that's really, really important to delineate here, ca- the, the difference between captured demand and new demand because as a sales manager previously in my life and I see it still in the marketplace today you have so many sales and marketing operations that are operating under capturing demand existing demand and reacting to that once they're all the way down that 57 percent you know they've already done the research and now we're just reacting to people who have contacted us who are in need of some solution and they're going to be a part of this buying group and so many companies focus on that. It is fundamentally different to think of new demand. You know, it's, uh, yeah, okay, as a company, you're always going to react to 
that captured demand opportunities, yep. right? You're you're going to react to that, and of course, that's like selling 101, right? I mean, right. if you if you can't do that, then you really probably shouldn't be yeah. in sales. If you yeah. can't articulate what your features or benefits are when when the call literally comes in or the email comes in, hey, we're looking we need for what this you've solution. got exactly. Okay, right. and then it becomes a price conversation, right? A, a, a lot, lot of, of times, yeah. a lot of times. I mean, to your point, and that's kind of what we dialogued about early on is that, you know, this whole group buying and how you got to position yourself and now you're kind of screwed a little bit in the sense that you got to make all these arguments and blah, blah, blah. So new demand here is a fundamental shift in be in in your company's behavior too, because you're going to be asking your prospects and or your customers to fundamentally think differently about the solution or whatever it is you're trying to propose, well, you need to think a little bit differently too. So anyway, I wanted yeah. to hammer on that a little because no. I think I, that's a jarring thing. People have to get out of there, what they're, how they're orchestrating their sales and marketing teams today because I, I really feel like they're all, I don't know what percentage, I'll just make a wild percentage, you know, 90% of them are aligned towards just reacting to captured demand. Absolutely. So, anyway. and, and they obviously, to your point, should be. You know, if there's oh, people sure. looking for you out there, you absolutely should be you know, putting yourself in the right place, making sure you're optimized for search so that people find you. Mm -hmm. um, but what it doesn't enable you to do in the way that creating noon demand does is to set yourself apart, mm -hmm. to highlight your unique value. Differentiate. Right. And yep. that is what that gets referred to in the challenger customer as the commercial insight. I would just refer to it as an insight. Mm -hmm. um, and it is heavily, heavily reliant upon a deep understanding of your customers. This is something they hammer on, and quite honestly, a lot of the people, the marketing people that I'm listening to and, and kind of being influenced by in the podcast world and all that good stuff, hammer this idea. It's, I mean, I'm obsessed with the idea right now of interviewing and surveying customers to really deeply understand not just their business, but where they learn, where they go, and all those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. to go a little bit deeper, or I guess we'll restate what we said a minute ago, which is when you're in a sales cycle, or even when you're doing marketing, you're trying to get ahead of that 57%. You're trying to get out early before they even realize, perhaps, that they have a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's it's quite the chasm, so to speak, to go from, you know, John doesn't realize he has a problem. And through my marketing, I'm going to convince him not only that he has a problem, but it's something he needs to address. Mm -hmm. right. So that is, in essence, the approach. And how do you, so how do I figure that out? How do I map my product or my service to a pain that John might not even fully appreciate that he has. Yep. And so, you know, the four steps to kind of landing on or in some cases building the commercial insight, because I'm sure there are some people listening saying, okay, I get it. What's my differentiator? And they're struggling a little bit. You know, we've got a bunch of points of parity. Our price is good. So, it, you know, maybe it's price, but that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. That's unique, maybe, but is it sustainable? Meaning mm -hmm. if your next, you know, closest competitor goes, hey, for the next quarter, we're going to drop our price too. Now you don't have a unique differentiator anymore. And it's not always a feature of your product either. Sometimes it's in your supply chain, the ability to deliver more quickly. Sometimes it's in your finance, you know, your financing options, things that Blue Star offers, for instance. So... How do you find a commercial insight? The number one is to think about what are your unique but also sustainable differentiators. So that's something, I mean, you could literally write them down, but also you might not be the best person to ask. That's something you might ping your current best customers about to figure out why did, why did we win your business? I don't know that that gets asked enough. Um, and then number two would be of those. <clears throat> so when you lay out, maybe it's three or four, maybe it's eight or 10 unique sustainable differentiators. Um, which are currently underappreciated by your current customers even. Mm. And then to figure out, you know, what is, what is it about their own view or mental model, as they refer to in the book, what is it about their mental model of their own business? 
that leads to them overlooking your unique value. Mm-hmm. You guys tracking with me? Yep, I know it's absolutely. a lot of stuff. No, 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 yeah, yeah. And then lastly, once I've determined, okay, this is my unique value and this is why it's being overlooked, what proof do I need to build? What content do I need to build? You know, I, I've gotten into a zone where we've been doing uh, e-guide and e-book so heavily for so many years that when I say content, I almost mean an e-book. Right. And then when I'm listening <laughs> to other people talk about content, I'm kind of trying to use context clues to go, what, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. might be talking about studies. Um, they might be talking about you know case studies. So I'll separate those two. Case studies would be here's a customer of ours that went from you know the before state to the after state, and here were the results. But studies might be going out and spending money to do research within a market to figure out what people need and, and things like that. So that's how you build a commercial insight. And otherwise, you know you're going in product forward. Hey, these are our benefits and things like that, which makes it easier for someone to say. And the, and the data in the book backs this up. Buyers will agree with you. Your product is better. But what I'm using right now is good enough. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You haven't proven to me that you just You haven't because, established the pain. Right, right. right. You haven't explained to me how it connects to my higher order desires, to mm-hmm. my profitability, to my ability or my desire to help students succeed or to help patients have better outcomes or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is just beyond going, yeah, that looks nicer. Maybe it's more durable, but I'm just trying to get two more years out of my current printers or devices or, or whatever the case might be. You know, I want to stop you and back us up for a quick minute because I think I, what occurs to me is the mindset that I think it's happening in a lot of companies that maybe do think that, hey, I'm good at marketing. I get it. I understand SEO. You know, if someone's looking for a solution or a certain mm-hmm. product, we mm-hmm. are tend to be one of the first ones that pop up. We've got good word of mouth that's out there. Uh, <laughs> we are we are a well-known company. You know, our name is well-known. People know to come to us first. And they might think themselves, hey, that's that's enough, right? I'm doing what I need to do. If if someone's asking about a particular solution, you mentioned, you know, an ERP or something earlier. Let's say you're looking for a, a full POS solution or something. Maybe my company and my name and my products are one of the first things that people think of. And that's driving a lot. of. We've done a lot of work to make sure that we're one of the first ones people know of. There's ads all over the place. If you search something, you find us. You might see us in your, your favorite newsletter here or there. And, I, and I, I, I think what we're trying to get to here is this is something different from that. This is not about recognition or brand recognition per se, but it's about creating a need based on what you understand about someone's business. It's a whole deeper level than just spraying out your your name and your 100%. products and everything there is yep. about you out there so that you're the name brand because that that doesn't necessarily win some of the business yes it might make you someone that gets looked at and especially if that buying group is that one that's gone that 57 percent of the way and they're already they're already prepared and ready to make a decision and they want to reach out to three or four different companies your name was probably going to be the one on the, on the right. list the because they know help. you right they're going to know you but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the right choice. And it doesn't necessarily mean it, – it, it also means that you, again, are still coming in behind the eight ball where another company who's maybe a lot smaller not doesn't have their brand recognition. But if they've done their diligence ahead of time and went in and talked to these folks at an earlier stage in that development and hit them with their pain points and understood who they were mm-hmm. and created that understanding about their business, that is a whole different level that and you maybe, are not going to be at, no matter how good also, your brand is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And so if you've done all those things that you mentioned, you're in a good spot, right? Yes, you're definitely. You're farming, so to speak, meaning you're not at, at war for a category anymore. Right. You've achieved king or queen status, and you're basically farming the, but the benefits kings and queens can get toppled. We right. all know that. And yeah. that's, that's I guess that would be my point, is you're the small, more nimble company. 
what I would do in that spot, you know, if we're talking ERP, you're looking at Oracle and SAP, and you built, you know, the new modern spaceship, you would look for those gaps. Yep. What are the things that maybe a different segment of the of the whatever industry need, but aren't necessarily being delivered on properly? So where are the, where's the pain for the companies right. that are using SAP? And the great thing about that too is when you are up against the the big dogs out there. There's so much more data points and references to find out what people's pain points are too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Customer if you go, reviews. yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you just go check out some reviews, if you go, you know, just get on some social media or whatever and just look up some of this stuff, you will find all the complaints that you need to find to figure out where people are not appreciating the well-known product. Such and you know point. that you can dive in there and 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 fill that gap in and be like, hey, I know that this is a big problem for you. That's something we've made sure we've addressed. Man, I'll tell you what, that is a huge point. Meaning, you know, it's almost like the small data. People talk about big data. To go in and dig through customer reviews, that's market research sitting yep. right mm-hmm. there for a smaller company, you know, going against And you didn't have to do anything space. to get it. No. So people love to give, freely give their opinion about the things they hate <laughs> about something, you know. I might be making this up, but I feel like there are some of those review aggregators, whether it's G2 or Captera or maybe even Google, where at the top there's almost like a cloud of common words. That you yeah, can kind of pick yeah. out what people are saying. Not that you shouldn't just dig into it, because you could really, really get some deep insights. But yeah, the the data is right there for you, right? To go and to go and mine. It's pretty yep. cool. Well, kind of connecting it to some of our smaller resellers, because you know, I think when you talk about kings and queens and category, you know, kings and queens and stuff like that, that might be at a at a higher level. But I think you can even boil down some of these principles to, you know, again, small to medium sized resellers, small to medium sized technology software companies as well. Uh, one of the pull outs that I had from this is, you know, when you when you talk about that commercial insight, right, and in, in, in developing that at the end of the road, and I thought this sentence was pretty good. What do your what do our customers fail to fully understand about their business, but should that's the question yes. that you should be asking yourself. And so when you think about it, I mean, I don't know, let's boil it down to like a loyalty program if you're a POS reseller. And and you go in into your companies and stuff like that, and and restaurant X Y Z doesn't have a loyalty program. You know, yes, you don't want to be, you don't want to get that call and say, hey, does our system have a loyalty program? Because now you know that they've already started researching it, and you're you're down mm-hmm. the field. But what we're talking about here is is coming up with a narrative. I, I think of it in my mind as a narrative. You know, what is the narrative that you're going to list your differentiators, right? And then create a list, and I love this part too, create a list of outcomes your customers care most about. So you would just attach that to one of the benefits of one something that you're selling. You know, what are what is the outcome going to be? You have to be able to paint that narrative in order yes. to walk them through this education to get them out of the, is it called the mental state? Mental model. The mental model that they're in, right? You you have to, you got to do the education. You got to, but you also have to be prepared and think about it differently about how you're approaching the whole sale, basically, yes. or, or marketing of the product. Uh, and they and they refer to that idea that changes their mindset as the frame-breaking idea. Ah, so yeah, you I was you, mm-hmm. you went down the path I was just going to, which is that idea of the mental model. There are examples in the book where they're literally diagrams where they put on the far right side, if you can visualize it. And we'll, we'll go through an example here, which I think is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually thought about another one that I kind of mentioned before the podcast, say with a company that we're working with right now. But basically they write um, on the right-hand side, what are the key outcomes for a business? So you know what, we, we, we ought to just dive into this one. So one of the examples they use is a company called Dent Supply, which I thought was a fake name for a real company. They were kind of protecting their <laughs> privacy. But it turns out my wife, who's worked in the dental industry for years and years, she saw me typing that and said, what do you know about Dent Supply? And I'm like, what do you know about Dent Supply? I didn't think they were real. Turns out they are. So Dent Supply creates, well, actually, they provide a number of things for dental offices, I found out. But in particular, they also do hygiene 
devices. So devices that hygienists use when they're cleaning teeth. Um, so when a person was mapping, or when CEB, the company behind this book, was mapping a mental model of a dental practice, on the far right side was practice profitability, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as well, they want you know good outcomes for their patients and all those things. And then they mapped it back to what are the factors that affect those having um, uh, knowledgeable staff, having high quality equipment, and a number of other things. One of the things that didn't show up in that mental map, and let me pause by saying, when you're creating the mental map, it must be correct. Mm. Meaning yeah. you actually have to know who the heck your customer is and what they care about. Mm. You, you can make assumptions. Assumption, right. You can make assumptions initially, but you must validate those, those yeah. with yeah. current customers, with prospective customers in a non-sale situation. You really, really, really have to get that right. Otherwise, everything you're basing your narrative off of is off. Yeah, when gotcha. they see the ad, they're going to go, they don't even know who the heck they're talking right. to. It's yeah. not even the right language. They mm-hmm. don't know who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. That's so important. I can't stress that enough. Um, but so the example that was used in the book about dent supply was they had come out with a new ergonomic set of hygiene tools. And when their salespeople went in, product forward Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we have this really great set of ergonomic tools. Your staff will love them. They look beautiful. um, They perform at a high rate and they're durable, just like your current. The dentist would say, those are beautiful. They do look great. But what we've got works well mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. now. Yeah, right. right. We'll, we'll talk. You know, we'll talk to you in a few years. If we're replacing we need, them, yeah, right. yeah. We'll give you a call against the status quo, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't connected to something that the dentist went, "Oh wow, we do need to fix that." Mm-hmm. How, how, how can you help? So here's what they did: they mapped the mental model, the existing mental model, and then said, "Okay, how or can we?" Because it's not always, you know, you don't have to force it. If, if the connection doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Which is why one of the points made in the book is sometimes you have to build. That commercial insight, meaning oh, yeah. you go out and find the gap and go, we don't have this feature or this reality about our business. Let's go and create it mm-hmm. so that we have a unique, sustainable differentiator. So what they went out and realized was, and they did this. Well, let me let me take a step back. What they realized was that ergonomics of the hygiene devices contributed to better health and hygienist. Meaning when they were using these ergonomic devices, they weren't experiencing the wrist pain in the carpal tunnel. My sister-in-law happens to be a hygienist. Carpal tunnel is a real thing in mm-hmm, that world mm-hmm. um, that, that the normal devices did, that the non-ergonomic devices did. So it is an accepted and known fact that hygienists and dental practices miss a certain amount of work every year mm-hmm. due to pain. Mm-hmm. This, and this is something that it's been an overlooked piece of their business where mm-hmm. a dentist goes, yes, I know that to be true. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And so when the guy said, hey... Um, you know, when the salesperson from Dent Supply or when the marketing from Dent Supply could tell the story and connect the dots between ergonomic devices leading to less absenteeism and then connecting absenteeism to loss of profit, they could tell a story. They could actually show a number and say, if you've got X amount of hygienists and your practice is of this size, you're losing X amount of dollars per year in patients who aren't in the seat because your hygienist is, you know, at the clinic or is at home or whatnot. And when they told, when they had that conversation, the dentist went, oh my God, yeah, of course we do have that problem. I had never done that math before. So it was mm-hmm. an overlooked or undervalued benefit of Dent Supply's product. Um, and there was, the, there was a reason there. So when they found that, they were able to go and create evidence. And that's the last step is once you've landed on that commercial insight and go, we're not going to talk about our, our product initially. We're going to talk about the pain with their current situation, right? The A to B. Mm-hmm. So if I can paint a picture where you go, oh my gosh, this is more painful than I realized, which is really the light bulb moment. Literal painful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> In this case, literal. <laughs> then they go, 
well, gosh, I got to do something about this. And the salesperson says, I'm so glad that you came to this conclusion. <laughs> I've got an answer for you. So it's not an easy thing. You know, it's like anything in marketing and in sales to do it well and to have it, you know, pay off. It's not simple. Yeah. Right. Right. But um, I thought that was a really, really interesting uh, way to paint the story. And I, I want to give one more example. But if there are any comments you guys want to add, I'll take well, a breath. I just think there's a, you know, it, it's so insanely valuable to think about the idea of being able to approach a customer with something that they have just resigned themselves to that they think is just this is just part of my life this is part of my work cost of doing business yeah this is just it's just and we all have those if you, if you stop for even a moment and think about what is what is something that always annoys you every day in your day-to-day job life whatever it is and that you're always just like well it just is what it is and imagine if someone came to you tomorrow and said hey you're probably dealing with this and you hate it right and they go yeah yeah i do Guess what? Understands me. I, I get it. You know, I understand that. Hey, I actually can help you out with that. How powerful is that? That's a that's a huge. That's a, that's just a foot in the door. Unlike any, that's not just a foot in the door. That's just kicking the door open and just saying, right. "Hey, I understand you." Especially if you have the proof, and that's one of yes. the other points they talk about it as a burden of proof. And they say, if you can again kind of visualize a mental model of boxes leading to boxes leading to that ultimate, you know, higher order desire, whatever that might be, profitability, success, blah blah blah. The closer you are to that last step of and then profit you know what i mean mm-hmm. the closer you are to that the higher the burden of proof is mm-hmm. meaning if i tell you it's one step away that this absenteeism is costing you money you're gonna go gosh is that is that correct and then if i can show you the proof meaning i did a study something that's credible that's maybe third party or whatever it's not just something that i did so i could say it and defend it on my own but it's truly when you look at it you go wow okay it's black and white this is the truth um, that's a key part. And that when I re- read that, it was like, that's a, a missing piece in a lot of companies. But then I started thinking about some of the companies that either I'm aware of or that I've worked with in the past where I went, wow, they did that step. you know. And um, so I, I just had a thought, but I'll, I'll move on from that. One other example, it's a company that I'm, I'm getting ready to do a campaign with. They're called Second Kitchen, really interesting company. I believe they're out of Chicago area. Um, what they do, the problem that they solve, well, I don't want to reveal the problem yet. The service they provide... <laughs> is that they will, so for bars or breweries, and actually they do the same thing for hotels. They basically like replace room service in hotels. Um, But for bars and breweries, they basically say, you don't need a kitchen. Second kitchen will bring food in. Local favorites is the way they say it. From a couple, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three restaurants that surround your business. You will have your own customized menu that your people can, you know, look at or load up on their phones. They order it. You do nothing as a brewery or a bar, and the food gets delivered to the table, costs you $0, and you make 15% of all the food revenue you bring in. Pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Solves a problem. The problem is people leave bars and breweries, especially breweries and tap rooms that don't offer food. Mm -hmm. You go in, you have a couple of beers, Mm -hmm. maybe three beers, and you're like, I got to go find a food truck or a restaurant to eat at. So. That's what they lead with, is keep people in your tap room longer. Well, mm-hmm. how could I do that? And you that? drink two or three more beers while you're eating dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the insight, is people are leaving. I don't know, and I just don't know because I haven't gone that deeply with them. I don't know if they've done the studies or done the surveys to say, you know, we surveyed a 1,000 tap, tap room owners, or we've somehow collected the data to say the people average, you know, 45 minutes in a tap room, but they average two and a half hours in a restaurant kind of thing. But that would be the logical next step. But I think mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things that people probably intuitively understand Understand. As a taproom manager, you go, yeah, people don't stick around here all day because if you don't offer food. Um, but I think it would so. So the burden of proof there is probably a bit lower. But again, it's one of those accepted 
um, realities of that business is, yeah, we, you know, we don't have a kitchen, we don't have that overhead and that staff and that facility, but we're also not keeping people here as long as they could be. So I thought that was a pretty neat example. Too. You know, what's critical about all this is just that customer insight. And, and, and it takes diligence, it takes effort, it takes knowledge to understand what the customer needs and wants and diving into that, right? When you're, Especially when you're trying to focus on new demand, which is kind of what we're talking about here, going after that new demand. If you don't have a fundamental and a really good understanding of your customer's insight, you're going to be missing the mark on a lot of these things yep. or not fundamentally understanding what the pain points are. Therefore, you really can't do this challenge or customer model, you know, yeah. that, that we're portraying here. So really key, really key there. You know, a str- uh, something I've heard outside of this book that I thought was a really strong point, and I think that even in our business, we've seen some of this, is when you have an initiative lead, let's say a Blue Stars business, and I know at a lot of our VARS businesses, they have healthcare practices or government practices. You'll often find people who come from that world in those roles. It's simple. You're like, yeah, of course, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you just have, you know, a good salesperson or a right. good marketing person in a healthcare role where it's like, well, what if you could have a healthcare expert, someone who, you know, whatever, worked in the hospital, was a nurse, was a doctor that then becomes your business development rep. So when they're talking to someone, it's mm-hmm. their peer. Mm-hmm. They've got that built-in credibility and yep. they can be your subject matter expert for right. content you will create and, and cool stuff like that. So I guess the, the last thing to kind of, that I wanted to bring up anyway was the idea of... Um, SIC, they refer to it as spark, uh, interest, and confront. These were the buckets the book creates for content creation. So we're talking about, you know, what's the answer to getting ahead of that? We're already 57% down the road before we even reach out to you, John, as a salesperson. Well, we said it's marketing, right? It's demand gen marketing, which is firmographically from an industry, from a company, from a job title. I know who I'm after. Let's go get in front of them, maybe before they're problem aware, what do we need? What kind of ammo do we need? And I think in part three, once I get, you know, hopefully finish the book this time, we'll go deep into some of those tactics and some good examples of how different companies have rolled that out. But yeah, the spark is just planting the seed, that frame breaking idea Mm -hmm. to say basically, hey, did you know that ergonomics can keep hygienists healthier? No, I hadn't known that. And just hammering in places like Facebook or like LinkedIn that can be used as awareness channels. Or that like message. Dental Hygienist Monthly magazine or right. something like that. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. And let's just, I mean, everyone has a has an addressable market. Maybe it's 100, 200,000 people, you know, dental owners, practice managers, things like that, that you just get that out there. So that right. it's something that a lot of those people have in the back of their head. And if you can get them to interact and go, oh, I'm interested to learn more when they end up at your website or whatever that next step experience looks like, then you start to go deeper to give them a bit of the proof, uh, you know, the meat of the studies you've done or the surveys that you've conducted or things like that. And then the last one, the confront, would be the best example they gave is some sort of calculator. Meaning, again, I, I made the point before, I've got, you know, three locations and I've got 40 hygienists. And I started to input that information on a calculator on your website mm-hmm. uh, and it spits out you're losing X amount of dollars per year to absenteeism based right. on, you know, pain within the wrists and stuff like that. So really interesting stuff. Again, the biggest thing for me um, that I've taken away that I'm now looking at this lens through everything that we're doing is it's it's is just basically, are we thinking about the A? Are we thinking about breaking down the current situation, the current business practice, or are we focusing on just what we want them to do? And unfortunately, but I'm again, I'm glad that I'm stumbling upon this. And a lot of cases I'm going, man, I was convinced that we had such a strong case just to go right in and go, hey, you should be doing this, mm-hmm. that someone might go, yeah, that does sound interesting, but we're okay. Yeah, right. right. Are right. you? 
Are so, you okay? Right. So another way that it, that was illustrated, and I'll just kind of read from one of these uh, um, or whatever uh, kind of a wrap up here is commercial insight is not just designed, and that's what, kind of what we're talking about: the commercial insight and insight and developing content around that. Commercial insight is not just designed to teach your customers something new they've never thought of before. It's also designed to unteach them on something they've already falsely believed, and right. and kind of that's where you're going here is that you know you it it has a dual purpose. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, you have to if they're hell bent on their position, right, and they're not receptive to a what new the way. new change is. Well, you got some unteaching to do, and so Absolutely. that needs to be a part of your content mix as well. Which is you just you have to have that knowledge again going into it. And so you know, and I don't I don't know if you pepper that in in the spark phase or the inter, uh, introduce phase. You know, probably not during the confront pay or site you know or i'm um, starting stage, stage yeah, yeah uh, of the whole thing but but it's important to have that in there as well because again you got to unteach them a little bit too yeah and i think the other thing to keep in mind i think this has been implied along the way but in case it hasn't been that when you're telling that story when you're doing that unlearning and convincing it should be leading them to you mm-hmm. and the reason it's uniquely to you is because that insight the story you're telling is based on a unique sustainable advantage that you have and i right. think i mean that really is none of this is easy right it's not none of this is easy but i'm going to give you another one that i thought really kind of captured a lot of what the essence was and i know we'll get into developing the content i guess later but but i like this headline lead to your solution not with it and so when you think about that a little bit uh and one of the things that can come from that th- another thing that that let me throw this at you when you're developing the content um you've got I'll just read it to you. The ultimate differentiator taste. So you're developing test. You're developing your content around trying to make that differentiation. Check this out. If we remove all the identifying information from your commercial content, would the customer still necessarily have to buy from you? That's a really powerful statement. If you develop your content around that, it's like, okay, take all your branding out of it. Have you, you know, and remove all of your identifying information, is the customer still necessarily going to have to buy from you? When you have that mindset and what you're trying to develop in the content, you're leading to your solution. You're not leading with it, right? Yeah. And it, it kind of, I guess at the end of the road, we've often talked about it. It's like, hey, at the end of the road, a salesperson doesn't want to have to put on the heavy sale. They just want to take the order. Well, right. that's what the marketing should be doing here is leading them all the way down that path. That there really is no other solution yeah, and here. And they're ready it's to you. talk to your team. You're they're ready. ready. Yeah, and exactly. And let's be honest. How many times have we in our role and what we do with marketing come across a solution where somebody's like, hey, this is gonna, this is for this. This is for this market. This is for this type of person. And we immediately look at it and go, yeah, but everybody else is doing this too, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What makes you different? What are you doing that everyone else isn't doing? Like, well, we're doing this. And that's the premise this whole approach is based on is, I mean, if there's enough of a market out there that you just want to go get your piece by being on parity with everyone else, there's room to do that in a lot of markets. We, sure. you know, I'm aware of a lot of companies that are doing just fine right. and employing plenty of people doing that. But the idea here was if you don't always want to be dealing or competing on price, if you don't want that commoditized, you know, they're reaching out to you after they know exactly what they need because they know there's 100 providers that provide the same thing. I mean, I think the point you brought up was a great one, Dean. Yeah, if I took everything off of Second Kitchen's marketing materials Mm -hmm. and someone went, wow, yep, I need to keep people in my tap room longer. I need a company who will go out and build me a menu of local fare. I don't have to do anything. 
Can you go find someone else that Mm -hmm. does that? Mm -hmm. Maybe in a year or so. So maybe if that happens, if there are copycats, then you have to go and find your next differentiator. So, you know, tomorrow's not promised, so to speak. Just because something is unique doesn't mean you're not going to get copycatted. Um, And I guess what I'll say is also we were talking about kind of the Goliaths of the world versus the small companies of the world. Most of our partners are medium size. You know, they're not the the leader in the category. Certainly some of them are, but... There's a there's big advantage in being that, you know, in looking at that big ship that's tough to turn and going, it's got a bunch of gaps that we can go fill in and then go after a few different segments to say, hey, not only is, you know, the, the king or the queen super expensive, but they don't have these key features that I know are pain points for you. Oh, I used to love to do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that's exactly how small businesses, in my mind, survive. You have to be able to to paint that narrative and be successful at that, and and really, I think that you can you can teach your own company, people within your company, some of these, you know, some of these ideas, so that they can be in tap and in tune with what you're trying to build. Because a lot of this would be a co- or a company effort, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, it's when you create these differentiators. When you're another powerful term that they keep referring to is that you're trying to change the behavior of your customers. So. If you're trying to change behavior, you, you really need all of your company to understand what you're trying to do here aligned, as yep. you do this new demand generation. I mean, you really got to communicate that because I think that you can get garner insight. I know you're a fan of surveying. We've talked about surveying customers and prospects, sure, but you can survey your own co- employees too. What are your pain? What are you hearing out in the marketplace? Yep. And and garner stuff from that as well to build this narrative that, you, that you're going to do. You know, something I've been thinking about quite a lot as I'm thinking about things like this, like, you know, building unique differentiators and stuff like that, I realize, and you, you basically said this a second ago, marketing and sales obviously need to be on the same page. But your product team, mm. I feel like good marketing people for at companies who provide solutions, who maybe have a software or you know a software plus hardware solution, a good marketing, especially leader, might need to go to product and go, hey, yeah. we need your help to stand out in the market. Yep. I can't just make up stories that aren't real about right. our product. Right. Let's go make it real mm-hmm. and let's first figure out what we should build. And you know, again, good product teams have that loop with their current customers where there's new request features and all that good stuff. Similar to customer reviews, that's that's a gold mine as well to go in and, and mine through that stuff right. and see what the people really need. And yeah, it's where the gold is. Yeah. All right. So hey, obviously as we've noted, there's more to this because I think the last part of this whole step is what? how do you create that content? What do you do mm-hmm. now that you understand the demand and now that you understand the pain point of your customers and now you want to be able to go out and address that without knowing for sure who they are and how to reach them. So that is going to be our next installment to wrap this whole thing up, to wrap up the great uh, customer challenge customer trilogy here on the <laughs> Tech Connect podcast is going to be creating that content, understanding how that content is, it, it needs to be created, what it should do, what it should say, what it should address, and more importantly, how do you get it out to the right people? So I think that's our sneak preview for our, our final installment of this, which hopefully will be in another another month or so that we get to that. Uh, hey, before we wrap up with our usual recurring segments, I want to, as always, thank our uh, Tech Connect members and those who support the podcast, Elo, Epson, Honeywell, and Zebra in particular. Thank you very much for your support. We could not do this without you. Uh, and of course, as always, uh, you know, hey, we want to hear from you. If you're watching us on YouTube, 
hit the like button, leave us a comment, subscribe to the channel so that we know, uh, so that you know when new episodes come out and all the other cool content that we're always putting out there. Uh, if you listen on Apple Podcasts uh, in particular, leave us a five-star rating and review. I'd love to be able to read some of those on the show uh, and get your feedback. And hey, if you have feedback for us, if you want to tell us you know, what you think of the show, if you have some suggestions for future episodes, if you have some questions for Cordy, because we're going to have him on here plenty more times, I'm sure, uh, about the world of marketing, you can find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod or email us techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap up as always with Value to the VAR and uh, our what's tech connecting with you. I want to kick off the Value to the VAR here because I have another practical example. We kind of talked about this briefly yesterday when we were, you know, discussing our ideas for what we were going to discuss today. And uh, I'll give go back to an example from my previous employment before I came to Blue Star. I've talked about this in the show before. I worked for a food service equipment and supplies company. And uh, in fact, this came up quite strongly last year. We did an episode about effective sales presentations. Mm-hmm. We talked about the TUFA model, which Tufa. is yep. them us fit action about building presentations around understanding what someone's pain points are, the them, you know, of who, of what they're exactly what we're talking about today mm-hmm. and, and building your presentation around that. Like, Hey, I'm going to present something to you and a pitch to you. That's about your needs and your interests and not just mine. And as a part of that, a big part of what we did at that company, because we were not the low cost provider for food service equipment. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you were, if you were running a corporate cafeteria or a, a school cafeteria, for instance, and you had a nice buffet set up, you know, and you wanted the cheapest pans that were out there to dump some food in the cheapest spoons, they weren't going to come from us. Even even our cheapest stuff was someone else could probably outbid us. Mm-hmm. But what we did a lot of effort into and a lot of you know time into was understanding what attracts and draws people to eat something and mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know to buy food or to or to or to get more or to just be you know interested if they're walking by and not not go out the door and go visit the the fast food down the street that yep. day. And a big part of that was this idea of visual merchandising. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, our proof behind that is that we actually teamed up, had teamed up in the past with uh, the University of Cincinnati, their art and design part department, had worked together with them to understand, you know, what it is that attracts people, what what catches someone's eye, hmm. what makes them want to approach a salad bar, for instance, and and decide that they're going to, you know, put together a plate that day and eat that meal. And they helped us find these, like, five you know, the five steps of visual merchandising, like the five, you know, essentials, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's stuffy as simple as color was, you know, one of the most simplistic ones, like having some color, like a colorful bowl or a dish, you know, uh, if you're serving salads, for instance, or something, you know, having it in a green bowl could, you know, could make a difference versus just a stainless steel pan. Antiseptic pan. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like landscaping, like elevating, like, you know, mm. if, if you go, if you're looking from afar at a flat Well, I'm going to call bar, that foodscaping, not landscaping. That's a good <laughs> okay. point. Yes, foodscaping. So, like, if you're looking from afar at a salad bar and you can't see anything that's in it because it's just a flat row of pan. Right, you you're like, going to assume the worst. Yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> I know there's some lettuce over there, but whatever, you know. But imagine if you elevate it, you just tilt it up a little yeah. bit, so you have a better yeah, view yeah. of what's in there, and you can see all the delicious stuff. Yeah. It, it, you know, texture, uh, um, um, signage, and you know, communication, whatever. All this kind of stuff was these five elements. You know, and I, yeah. well, I'm not giving away their secret sauce, but I'm assuming that we don't have a cross audience here too much. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, so that was something we always incorporated into our presentations. If there was any part of that discussion, any part of what we understood about them that was about, hey, you're not getting as many customers into your your cafeteria as you would like. You're lo- you know that you're losing people to outside restaurants, mm-hmm. or you're wasting food. You're at the end of the day, you're you're throwing away a lot of food that just doesn't get eaten. 
because people either don't know what it is or they don't see it enough. They, you know, it's, it's out in a corner somewhere. That was the kind of stuff we would throw in as a practical example of, hey, yes, we are not going to be the low cost provider, but what we will provide you is this insight that we have on how to step up your game so that if someone's walking by and sees your salad bar across the room, their eye gets drawn to it because it's something dynamic and interesting and draws them into it. And they feel like, hey, this is something I want to get closer to and check out. And the closer they get, the more likely they are to actually make a purchase. That that's a point. really good illustration of commercial insight. I mean, so, that, that's uh, it. Exactly. That's right, right That was there. exactly what that understanding. Of when he yeah. explained that concept to me, I'm like, this sounds exactly like what we used to do yeah. there. And, yeah. and again, we had the proof to back it up. We had the scientific data as far as the understanding of how merchandising works, how people react to it, and to be able to go in and say, hey, uh, we know most likely you are losing revenue from people leaving the establishment to eat somewhere else, or you are losing revenue because you're you're wasting food that you have to replace every day. Mm-hmm. This is how we can help mm-hmm. you. So, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if you guys had data points that came out of the collaboration with the UC department, but man, it's it's so so nice to have proof, data, whatever to point to versus just saying I believe this to be true. Right. The person you're selling to going, yeah, I don't know if I agree. Right. But like, okay, but here's the proof. And mm-hmm. they go, oh, yeah. okay. Maybe my, they've got a compelling reason why it wouldn't work for them. But Exactly. And my point is, as you know, if you're, you know, I mentioned this early at the beginning of the episode, if you're a salesperson who's more sales oriented and don't really think about the marketing side of things, if you have anything like that, that you can have in your back pocket to throw out in a presentation or a meeting, or even just a random phone call with somebody where you've managed to pick up on some pain points and you know, that's, that is your differentiator. That is great stuff to have. Even if you're if you're not someone who feels like you are a marketing person, it's it's just something simply useful to have. And it's something that if you're ingraining that into your sales team to make sure that, that is part of their normal pitch and something that they're always referencing and bringing up. And you know this too. You, you, you know the good companies that are really good at always kind of pointing out what they're good at. You know, even if it's not always the most relevant mm-hmm. part of that pitch, you will always – there are certain companies you will hear that will always kind of insert that somewhere into that that discussion. Or well, that's their, where their I'm at with the whole – you know, it's a company culture thing. you got to be into this idea of yep. new demand and driving new demand. You know, like the core is fine, but but how do you get new demand? How do you go out there and sell upsell right. your current customers? How do you go out there and, and differentiate yourself from prospects? I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be a cultural type or of thing. Or what if your right. product represents a new category? Right. There isn't yeah. existing demand for mm-hmm. it. You know, that's a key one. I think we have a lot of partners that fall into that space. Yep. I was going to mention this earlier, and I kind of pulled the punch on it, but I'll mention it now. Quick shout out to Newcastle Systems. Mm-hmm. So I thought of them two or three different times when I was reading this book, because I'm like, someone over there has read this book. <laughs> um, they So I, we'd done a, a marketing campaign with them uh, a year and a half ago. And usually, you know, we ask for existing information and content that we can kind of, you know, leverage and look for. And the stuff they sent us was, first of all, great, but not only do they have a differentiated product, so for those that aren't familiar, Newcastle has the mobile-powered warehousing carts. It can be used in various ways, but that's kind of their key use cases. You know, they've got label printers and barcode scanners and equipment that warehousing, especially in receiving, need, Mm -hmm. but they're battery-powered, so they can power all of those devices. So that's a product differentiator, and they talk about that, but they don't lead with that. Mm -hmm. They don't say, hey, we've got battery power. People go, ooh, that's really cool, but what we've got is fine, Mm -hmm. the theme. Instead, what they say is, hey, what you don't realize is that your warehouse associates are, are spending, I won't say wasting, spending X amount of minutes per shift per person walking around from printer to cart, from printer to cart. That's costing you X amount of dollars per year if you have Y amount of, you know, employees. That's the conversation I start with. An overlooked, you know, undervalued, um, 
unique benefit of Newcastle's that the warehouse customers that they're working with don't think about until they have that narrative. They Absolutely. tell them the story. Yeah. So I thought, when again, when I read that, I'm like, someone over there has read yep. this. Maybe a few people have, because yep. or they just intuitively But not only are there. they leading them down the path of education, they're unteaching them the, uh, the fact that they think that the status quo is okay. It, always, right. it right. has to work. This has to work. What's the other right. option? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Glad the value, is, my value to the VAR is, you know, I'm going to go back to, you know, Having a full understanding of what the the, you know, the commercial insight, getting to the commercial insight, and how do you do that? Well, here's a couple bu- bullet points, and we've talked about them here. List your differentiators, right? If you don't know your differentiators, that's a good place to start. Yep. Create a list of outcomes your customers care most about. And I, I love that bullet point because that gets you in the mental thought of what are my customers? What are their outcomes? How can I paint this narrative that's going to be a positive out- outcome for them? Uh, prioritize and choose an outcome as a starting point, right? So that's that's how you begin your narrative. Map customer beliefs and outcome drivers, and then finally test and validate the, those connections that you were talking about. Yep. Um, you you got to test and validate them, right? You got to have that proof, if you will. You can't just out there be out there and I think this is going to work. You got you know, the right. proofs in the pudding. Yeah, we'll test it by spending money on ads, right? Right. 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 <laughs> be sure and then test ads against each other. You know what, Dean? I'm going to build on what you said because that was going to be mine as well which is just, I don't know which camera is looking at me, but I feel like I have to look at the camera when I say this. No matter how well you think you know your customers, meet them, interview them, survey them, get that deep understanding. So low tech, what's non-tech connecting? I feel like you've played this game before. Right. Draw a mental model. Google search, challenge your customer mental model, find what it looks like and build one for your two or three different personas, however many you have. Um, Consider in a non-sales situation, like a podcast, for instance, um, interviewing these people. I think mm-hmm. I've been given this a lot of thought, which is I have a desire to get a stronger understanding of Blue Star's customers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in marketing and I'm more end, you know, end customer focused than I am VAR focused, but I still want to understand, you know, how does a VAR become a VAR? Mm-hmm. You know, especially the software companies, how do they make that decision as to whether or not they're going to, you know, sell and support hardware or not? Because I know they go both mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. What a great idea it is to have a podcast because for me, my key priority would be learning. Mm-hmm. Me, right. learning from them. Right. And then the other thought would be, okay, if I'm going to ask them for their time, I also want to provide value to other people. Well, who would that be valuable to? People that look like them. Mm-hmm. People who maybe have a software solution but don't sell hardware, and they get to hear from a Volante or an Appetize about mm-hmm. you know, why they do and why maybe they sh- you know, the company listening should. So do some low-tech things. Get deep with your customers. Really understand them. I mean, there, there was another example in the book around Xerox, and their customers were, uh, and I won't go deep on it, but education, K through 12. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, what do those people care about? What do superintendents, principals, and then, like, you know, teachers with seniority, what are their key drivers? Their higher order desires is how they phrased it. And they listed five or six that I went, I would not have thought of those. Right. Yeah. You couldn't just assume. Maybe if you're a little bit closer to the customer, you might know. But I think even some of those, you'd really need to talk to these people. Yep. So get create the those situations because mm-hmm. that yeah. is, if you don't get that right, everything else is going to be a waste yeah. of time. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. I mean, you can be you you can be surprised by what someone is willing to talk about if you have a long enough conversation and and riff on enough things and ask enough questions. You might be surprised what you might learn about that you were not expecting. You might Agreed. expect like, hey, I'm just going to get the same answers I get from everybody, and maybe that is the case if you're if you're going through this process and you're interviewing a bunch of people and you're having a bunch of these deep dive conversations, maybe nine out of 10 of them or eight out of 10 are the exact same responses and the same answers. You don't really get a lot of insight out of that. But maybe those last two are the ones that 
just or that day, like, yeah, man, I've got some other stuff I want to talk about. There's some stuff that really just annoys me and, and just yep. pisses me off every day. And that's where you finally gain those insights mm-hmm. that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you go circle back around with some of the people you previously talked to mm-hmm. and they and tell them, hey, you know, is this something that bugs you too? Do a little I, validation. I, yeah, a yeah. couple mm-hmm. people mentioned that. Yeah, actually, that does too. I I didn't mention it because whatever, it is just what, what it is. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And and that's where you can glean some of those insights, I think, to move forward. Yeah. So. You know, interviewing is an art in, in and of itself, it not is. one that I have experience with, but in hearing people talk about it, it's sometimes you ask them factual questions. And then if you follow up with a, how does that make you feel? Sometimes that's where you find the stuff where it's yeah. like, you get a little bit deeper insight into, you know, again, someone's pain or maybe the things that they didn't even think to mention because right. they just accept them as unfortunate truths. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, again, as I mentioned, this has been a, a great conversation. We've got more to get to. We're going to get to the the content side of things and the, the way to get that content out in the future. But uh, we will wrap up there for now, at least with with this conversation. But we want to finish, as always, with our favorite segment each ah, week, yes. What's Tech Connecting with Us? Uh, this is where we talk about anything in the world of technology, science, innovation, something that's caught our eyes, got our attention. So, Cordy, I'll let you start. What's Tech Connecting with you right now? Oh, gosh. I forgot that there was two separate pieces. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, I guess because I didn't think about this, did I mention Alice on a previous episode? No. I don't think you did, no. Okay, I'll make this really quick because I don't want to, like, show my hand before I have any data around whether this is going to work for our partners. <laughs> we have a really cool new tool at our disposal, John, and I know I kind of mentioned it right. to you the other day. It's a tool called Alice with a Y. It's generally, it was kind of built for enterprise SaaS companies. So companies that sell $50,000, you know, annual contracts and things like that. But it is a enterprise gifting platform. But the unique differentiator, because there's a few of those, is that it, uh, it's got a personal research component to it. So let's just say mm-hmm. that the three of us have a business, we have a software company, and we have a list of 500, you know, named accounts we want to go after. Uh, because they're of a certain size and we think they have this need or whatnot, we could go and find, you know, the whoever our target would be. Let's say it's someone in operations, the chief operations officer, director of operations, find their emails or do some kind of marketing to attract them, ebook marketing, whatever. Once we have that list, however we acquired it, we load it into Alice. Alice does the research and tells us what it can find about these people. Not about their professional lives, about their personal lives. Right. So they're It's a beautiful expression of of the benefit of their platform. It's not about their nine to five. It's about their five to nine. Do they like to climb? Are they a big, you know, pet person? Do they Uh play hockey or whatever? And then the gifts that Alice will recommend you send are based on that insight. Uh, And the idea is to cut through the clutter. Mm -hmm. All of us get, you know, 20 emails a week from people who are cold emailing us. Hey, James, you know, you're... Your job at Blue Star US, and I've said this yep, before, no yep. one calls us that. And it, I delete it before I even look at it. I've seen a playbook similar to Alice before, you know, via LinkedIn. People try to send me a gift card or something like that, and I've never accepted it. But it's only been because when I went and did my research separately, opened a new tab in my browser, the product didn't fit. Mm-hmm. But you hear what I just said. It got my attention. And I right. went and did the research. Right. That's what this does. Yeah. Uh, and it's really cool. And there's some other kind of neat features and stuff. But like I said, I haven't even experimented with it yet. Uh-huh. So maybe maybe in a future We're excited episode. to see how it'll turn out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm yeah. pretty pumped about how we're going to work it into our mix. There Definitely. you go. There Dean, you go. what's tech connecting with you? Do you think uh, cities are getting a little too hot? Do we need to cool down? I think the world's getting a little too hot. Right, so yeah. so what's, what's an idea of how we could cool down some cities? How about some sunscreen for their pavement? You think that would help? I think it might. Might anyway. There's a company I mean, out hot there. Hot pavement's pretty awful. So hot pavement's pretty awful. Yep. That, yeah. So there's a company out there called Pavement uh, Pavement Technology Inc. Has come up with this new 
uh, road coating that you put on, and it uses a titanium dioxide or something like that. Uh, and it's a spray on. It sprays over the asphalt. Uh, it sprays on like a yellow, but it dries clear. Uh, and then what it does is it actually, it, it, with the titanium oxide in there, it actually reflects, you know, I guess, sunlight right, and stuff right. like that uh, and, and can help in cooling down cities. So they, they literally wow. just rolled this out. But not only will it help cool down the cities, it actually eats smog. So apparently there's like wow. a there's like that chemical process going on that it's emitting. And when you mix it with the toxins that are coming out of a gas pipe or your exhaust, it actually mitigates that. What and proof so, do they have of this? The burden of proof is high with it. me on this they one. They got it. I don't know. you got to go to the website. Right. you got to figure it out. they got Fair a whole enough. video and they got what the whole charts and stuff like that. Uh, the company's called Pavement Technology. Inc. They're right up in Cleveland. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, but their product is called ARA or something like that. Uh, but yeah, titanium oxide, and it's basically sunscreen for roads. Uh, and, it, and it helps to cool things down. Yes, exactly. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Using interesting. a little nitrogen oxide to cool our planet. So, you know, in lieu of... So it doesn't actually address the, the well, issue. No. Of, the bigger issue is not addressed, but at least cool <laughs> one. Yeah. But if roads we, are going to bring around, even when we're driving around electric cars or whatever, anti-gravity cars that that don't actually take any energy at all, but, but whatever. We're still going to have roads. This, this, unless we're flying. This Are we feels flying? like, well, no, not yeah, yet. Yeah, exactly. This feels like the, the person who loves to go out and just sit in the sun and bake all day long and be like, look, I'm just going to slap on a lot of sunscreen. That, <laughs> like, that helps to stomach. Maybe you don't get that burn, but you're... You're not addressing the overall problem that you're probably heading for skin cancer if you're just baking all day in the sun, <laughs> even with sunscreen. I hate to tell you. So, uh, interesting one. That well, that's anyway, insane. their claim is they're going to cool cities. What's tech yeah, neck? That'd, that'd still be pretty handy. Uh, all right. So, here's an interesting little headline I came across. Aliens in 1700 star systems could have seen civilization emerge on Earth. Uh, and basically, it's explaining kind of how the way our, our universe and our solar system moves mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that there are certain windows of time that, you know, other systems, if they have life, could have actually seen what's going on here on Earth. Okay. So this is From least, where they are. Yes. So at least 1,715 nearby star systems sat at a perfect angle to view Earth during the past 5,000 years, meaning aliens living in those systems, if they exist and have the right technology, that's a big caveat, <laughs> could have watched our planet from afar as early human civilizations first emerged. Uh, of those systems, 313 exited the special viewing zone known as the Earth Transit Zone sometime in the past few thousand years. So basically just kind of explaining this idea of, you know, again, that like there's these windows that kind of open up. And that works both ways, obviously, yeah, too, yeah, yeah. of when we can see certain systems yes, and they can see yes. us. But what this reminded me of is... One of my favorite films of all time is the movie Contact. Have you, have you ever yep. seen this with Jodie mm -hmm. Foster and Matthew mm -hmm. McConaughey? It came out back yeah. mid nineties or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it because it's a it's it's got some fascinating concepts around science fiction and around how we think of like li you know, life in outer space. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my favorite ideas in the movie is the first time we get a radio signal from mm -hmm. another planet, another, you know, galaxy or whatever it is, you know, another civilization that gets beamed to us, when they start deciphering it and open and open it up and realize what it is, it is a a video image of Adolf Hitler presenting the opening of like the Olympics in like 1919 oh, or right. something okay. like that yeah, or 1920 yeah, yeah. something or whatever 27 it might have been like opening up one of the first modern Olympics in Germany so of course you know all the government bigwigs and types you know are sitting there like oh great they're basically saying they like the Nazis and they think that's cool you know they're 
you know, and get all <laughs> bent out of shape thinking like they want to come, you know, conquer us because they think that's a cool idea. And the scientists are pointing out like, no, that was simply the first most powerful radio tr- or TV broadcast transmission that was able to leave Earth and actually travel into space. Mm. So they basically are just reflecting back to us, hey, we got hey, your message. Yeah, got oh, it. I thought you know. it was more of a like, hey, what's up with this guy? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that, but you know, again, an alien civilization would have no context sure. for that without yeah, yeah, any yeah. of the, you know, other understanding of, of our history or anything. Right. So, so I always, I love that idea that, you know, that what we're beaming out into space that another civilization might come across mm-hmm. might make zero sense to them in any other context whatsoever. And yeah. if they got something like that, just because they got it and we're like, okay, that, that doesn't mean that represents anything, any understanding about humanity whatsoever. So I just found that kind of fascinating as a parallel to these other systems that might, because, you know, again, we don't think about the fact that how long it takes for a oh, yeah. signal. Oh, yeah. Any kind of signal of any kind of, even the Traveling the speed can, of light to right, get to even, these places. Not even that. We're not even yeah. talking about the speed of light either, necessarily. You know, like, it, just any of these signals to get to mm-hmm. someone that can it, interpret it, decode it, understand it, and then talk back to us. The amount of time and the gap in between there, that's why yeah, the idea of us communicating with other civilizations becomes so problematic in the long so run. So it's only so. 1,700 little windows that were out yeah, there over the last 5,000 5, years? 5,000 years. That seems so. kind of small in the vastness of the universe. It does, yeah. Plus, uh-huh. by the way, they'd have to have one hell of a telescope to see us. That, uh-huh. you know. Right, uh, yeah. Just kidding, yeah. So there you go. There so there's, go. there's your little picture of the small, <laughs> infinite amount of tiny, minuscule little dust that we are on this planet compared to the bigger universe. There you go. Bingo. All right. So, hey, that does it for us today. It is time for us to unplug. James Cordy, thank you so much for being here today. Again, as always, we can't wait to f- finish up the trilogy with you soon. And, hey, uh, listen, if you've got a dental hygienist you're going to visit re- <laughs> soon, brush your teeth. Uh, do some flossing, make their job a little easier. They're hurting, they're in pain. We've clearly established that. And until next time, stay connected. Elo is bringing decades of touchscreen experience to the palm of your hand. Introducing the M50 handheld mobile computer, an enterprise-grade Android device built for efficiency and connectivity. With a 5.5-inch HD touch display, integrated 2D barcode scanner, Android 10 OS, and a rugged design for commercial use, the M50 is ready to seamlessly integrate via EloView or the MDM of your choice. Long battery life, quick charge, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or 4G communications, and plenty of accessories make the M50 a bold new choice for enterprises like warehousing, retail, healthcare, delivery, and more. To learn more about the M50 now in stock and ready to ship, check out the link in the show notes or contact Blue Star's Elo team. Instant and reliable inventory and asset visibility is vital to many enterprises, where misplaced, undercounted, or unaccountable items can cost companies big money in replacements, repairs, restocks, and their reputation. That's why Zebra's RFID portfolio includes a business and industrial line of fixed RFID readers, complementing their broader line of data capture and mobile computing products. There's the ATR7000, ideal for indoor RTLS applications. The FX9600, which requires no hardwired connection for large distribution yards. The FX7500 is compact and powerful for faster, accurate reads in large open areas and business class environments. Finally, Zebra's collection of combo reader antenna solutions track inventory and assets as they move through entry exit points, ideal for retail, distribution, and manufacturers. To learn more about any of these options, check out the link in the show notes or contact Kevin Thomas on the Blue Star Zebra team. 